0: Welcome back to American Billiard Radio. Today is Thursday, March 7th, and yes, I am aware it's been forever since I've done a show. Not going to try to blame anything but just me. You know, I we're all busy and and sometimes I don't think about getting to the show until it's too late and and it's again, it's no one's fault but my own. But here we are. I'm back. Since it's been so long, there's been an awful lot of news, and really, trying to catch up with all of it would just be insane, and nobody really wants to listen to that anyway. You read about it all on AC Billiards. While I was gone, I received some nice fan mail... Not all of it nice, but some nice mail, nice email uh, from people saying that they liked the show and they hoped everything was okay and they were looking forward to new episodes. And I appreciate that. It, it makes it a whole lot easier to do this. Uh, one gentleman sent me an email uh, telling me how much I sucked and that I should never do this again. And individually to you, I apologize. I'm, I'm back. So this episode... I have an interview with John Schmidt. John is getting ready to make a concerted effort to break Moscone's run of 526 balls. He is going to start this in mid-March and play six hours a day, five days a week here in Phoenix at one of my favorite pool rooms, Bull Shooters in Phoenix. The whole thing is going to be streamed. Fans can come in and watch for free. John has much more as far as details go, and I'll get to that interview with him where he describes it, along with a number of other things. Uh, his thoughts on 526 and breaking the record, why he's trying to do this, um, what got him into the game to begin with. So here you go. Uh, John Schmidt talking about trying to break Moscone's record. Very proud now to be joined by Mr. 400 himself, John Schmidt. John, how you doing today?
1: Great. Thanks for
0: asking, Mike. So let's start with Mr. 400. I think a lot of people know the nickname and they know what it refers to. Can you tell us the story behind that? Well,
1: pretty simple. Um, Frank Alvarez, who was organizing tournaments about 15 years ago, you know, he would try to come up with a moniker for a player. And I was kind of a new player that hadn't really won too many major titles. So maybe to give me a nickname... He called me Mr. 400 because at the time I had ran 400 once. And so I went with it. And then, of course, most people knew that I played straight pool and uh, liked straight pool. And so the Mr. 400 became something synonymous with my name. And so uh, it's something I'm proud of. And uh, it's a monkey on my back a little bit at the same time. But the Mr. 400 was started by Frank Alvarez about 15 years ago. And here we are uh, today, and luckily I'm called Mr. 400. I've been called a lot worse.
0: (laughs) Now, you say at the time you had ran 400 once. How many 400 ball runs do you have now?
1: Four now. I've done it four times now.
0: A lot of people think of you primarily as a straight pool player, and I understand that that's really something that has evolved over time because – You've won U.S. Open nine ball championships. You've won one pocket titles. Derby City. Is is it fair to think of you as predominantly a straight pool player? No, I. I my wife and I talked about that. Um,
1: I got to be honest; it kind of bothers me. I mean, a lot of people have actually asked me if I've ever won a nine ball tournament, or a ten ball tournament, or an eight ball tournament, or a one pocket tournament, and I they're surprised when I tell them I've won. Several events in all disciplines, so I consider myself kind of a player that's familiar with all games. Um, I wouldn't be able to survive if I could only play straight pool. I actually have played more one pocket in my life competitively than straight pool, for sure. So uh, yeah, maybe a little unfair to just think of me as a straight pool player, but at the same time, it's something I'm proud of. If I became good enough at straight pool to be noticed, I suppose.
0: Well, I mean, you've certainly played well enough to be noticed by far. Uh, U.S. Open title, I mean, a lot of us remember the the straight pool tournament that was really your coming out party where you helped Siegel along to breaking that shaft. Right,
1: I remember that. Well, I'd like to touch on that real quick. First of all, Mike Siegel's one of my pool heroes. I learned how to play by watching him on Accustats. I particularly back in the late nineties when I was renting the accustats, I, I really, really loved the way he played pool, um, his decision-making and pattern play. So I was a huge fan of his. So when I drew him, I was so beyond nervous. They introduced us and they said, Mike Siegel four-time world champion and two-time us open winner. And they named off about 40 of his titles, and they said, and his opponent, John Schmidt. So that was my introduction in front of about 1,000 people. And I was beyond nervous. Mike, um, understandably, did not play his best. He had a lot of pressure on him playing a nobody like me. I had turned 27 that day. Never played in a pro event. And I was close to puking. I was so nervous. And uh, we played the match. And you know, neither one of us played our best. Um, at the time, I was running, you know, a hundred balls many times a day, pressing. So I was a good player, but I but I was very inexperienced in front of a crowd and cameras and playing my hero, Mike Siegel. So, uh but yeah, when he broke that cue, that was I was looking out into the crowd, and all I heard was the cue break. And I looked over, and I didn't know what happened, but it startled me so much. I took a bathroom break and and came back and somehow squeaked by him. And uh, I'll never forget it. He was a gentleman about it. He was nice to me and uh, told me good luck, you know. So I just have always, always liked and respected Mike Siegel. Uh, Yeah, that was my coming out party for sure, a straight pole tournament.
0: Yeah, you made uh, quite a statement when you came out. I mean, there was no way that anybody who followed the game at that time could say they didn't know who you were after that.
1: Well, at that time I had turned 27 and I I joined that tournament and then I disappeared into the shadows for 3 years and I did not play in a tournament until I was 30 years old. And then I I decided to start playing tournament pool and and got lucky and defeated Alex Pagalain in the finals of the Reno Open and that was kind of that really was when I think the pool world realized, okay, I'm, you know, he's a good player and the money games dried up a little bit and I took pool more as a on the tournament trail than the money games. But uh, I I was on the road in a motor home from the time I was 27 until I was 30 playing money games and, and honing my craft and sharpening my game and my confidence. So even when I was a rookie at 30 years old, I had defeated many great players playing for money and knew I belonged. So it's something I think was necessary for me to survive.
0: Do you think players can do that anymore? I mean, do you think players can lay low like that?
1: No, no, absolutely not. I and, and I wasn't really smart enough to lay low right. I would go into pool rooms and sort of challenge the best players, not so much out of ego or because I thought I could beat them, but out of curiosity because I just wanted to see where I stood with what was considered great players of uh, – If I would have been more intelligent, I probably could have snuck around and made a lot more money, but I was the guy that would just walk in and play the state champion for 500 to see if I could beat him. And uh, it's probably what propelled me to become a good enough player to win a U.S. Open or or do the things I've done. But some of it would have seemed like bravado and ego, but a lot of it was just curiosity and not – quite being sure if I was good enough yet and I wanted to see
0: what what first got you started in pool I mean 27 30 that's that's kind of old had you played when you were young
1: no I I started well I was a high school and college golfer so I and then I had a million jobs like everybody menial jobs and what have you so I started playing pool seriously in my early 20s and I had played pool at 18 19 a little bit in bars and you know, used a house cue with my friend. But I got into pool when I got around Bobby Hunter in my early 20s. And I saw what the game could truly be played like. And I found an interest in it. And I'll tell you a real quick story. I'll try to condense this down. But this is this is how close the pool world came to never hearing from me. I was working at the Golden Nugget, I think it was called, in Carson City, Nevada. I was about 23 years old. And I got a job as a change person, you know, back in the day, you, you paid the the jackpots. So I was the guy that paid the jackpots. Well, I had a job there and I'd only worked there two days. And I asked for a day off to go play in this little nine ball tournament up in Reno. So I go up to Reno. They let me have the day off. Amazingly. I go up to Reno and I get drawn to break on the nine ball raffle. And I made the nine ball on the break and I won like $900 on this break. And I quit my job <laughs> and <laughs> I sort of started, hanging I quit my job. I had $900 in the whole world. And like a, you know, like a $75 sneaky PQ. And I sort of started playing pool for a living at that point. I started hanging around Bobby Hunter going on little road trips, and what have you. And if I wouldn't have been drawn to break that rack of nine ball, won that $900, I might still be working at that casino, you know, because at the time I had like $12 to my name. Uh, so it just, it's funny how things work out and how they happen.
0: Well, it certainly worked out well for, for not just yeah. yourself, but for the pool scene itself.
1: Yeah, pool's been good to me and I and I've been able to You know, uh, play for a living for over two decades and and done well in the sport, I suppose, and uh, very lucky in that respect. But again, it hasn't been a a one-man operation. I've had a lot of help along the way, and it's something, as I've gotten older, I've started to appreciate even more because I realize there's a lot of guys that play great, but to make it in this sport, you have to have people – Care about you and help you and like you and give you a helping hand, or you will not survive.
0: And you talk about making a living playing the game, and, and we we talked about this earlier before we started the interview. You had made a comment on the forums years ago, where some user was talking about the small amount of prize money in the game, which everybody's aware of, and you looked at it a different way, and you said that as far as you were concerned you were an independent contractor and you had the ability because of pool to work when you wanted to play golf when you wanted to it it was it was more of that you had freedom as opposed to bemoaning how much money there was available
1: well i mean it's a good and bad let's say for example okay a lot of people know that i love to ride dirt bikes and motorcycles and play golf and do these hobbies well Let's say I was paid a million dollars a year by a company and they said, we're going to sponsor you, but you can't do those things. You might get injured. Like other athletes are told, you know, they have in their contract things they can and can't do. So there's some freedom, but there's also, um, you know, you might look at a pool player and say, well, he only made $25,000 last year, but they really had 10 months of free time. So it's not a bad gig. There's some good things to it and there's some bad things to it. Uh, What I meant by the independent contractor is really there's no such thing as a pro pool player because we're not given a license or a card like a pilot or a doctor and you have to go get licensed or, or be accredited. I mean, the way pool works is just some people play way better than others and they win the bulk of the money, but if I hit the lottery tomorrow, and had $100 million but still showed up and was able to come in third place in the U.S. Open, would that make me a professional player or I'm just a lot better than other people at pool? So I've never really considered pool a profession or there being such a thing as professional players. There's just people who play better than others and win the bulk of the money and by default would be called professional players. So it's kind of a a tricky arrangement when you have somebody – Like, say, Donnie Mills, for example. Maybe Donnie Mills makes great money selling cars, but he's good enough to come out on the Pro Tour. Well, what is he really a professional at, selling cars or playing pool? Who knows and who cares? He's just a great player. So, you know, a lot of people try to hold us pro players to certain standards. And I've always said there's no such thing as a pro pool player, me included. We just, I mean, that's kind of a strange way to look at it, but. It isn't like I'm given a card that says I'm a pro or a license that says I'm a pro. It, I'm just a pool player.
0: Yeah, and that's that's an interesting way of looking at it, but it, I can see where you're coming from.
1: I mean, in a, in a, to a degree, you know.
0: I, I'd like to go back to something you said a couple minutes ago. You were talking about how between 27 and 30, being on the road kept you kept you sharp and kept you you playing your best yeah what is how do you do it today because certainly you're not on the road and, and we don't see you at as many major events but when you are in a major event you're right there with with the top players
1: well thank you for that and that's something I'm proud of I think yes I do play a lot less than my peers and I practice a lot less and all that so I have to rely on Uh, confidence and belief from past performances. Some of it is I'm very experienced and I have a lot of knowledge on the pool table and, and I can kind of, um, you know, it kind of camouflages the fact that I'm rusty competitively. So maybe that helps, but also, you know, I I still visualize pool and think about it and think about competing and, and, and feel the nerves and all the things that go with it. So, when I'm out there in a tournament, I just kind of get lost in the moment and I forget that, yeah, I'm not hardly at very many tournaments and I don't practice or go on the road. So, I'm actually kind of shocked at how well I do sometimes because I think I should never win a match. <laughs> you know, it's uh, at the same time, you know, I think pool is a game that you can be sharp at by playing by yourself. And although I don't practice as much now as I used to, by far, when I do practice, it's intense and I try hard and I have goals in mind and I'm really pissed off if I don't practice well and play well. I, you know, like this thing that's coming up in Phoenix that we're going to discuss here in a minute. That's going to be a very intense thing to me. I'm not just there for a quick buck or to be seen on camera. Like, I am going to try hard. I'm going to test myself and I want to do well, and it's an intensity that I think I'm able to compartmentalize pretty well. Uh, when I play pool, I try really hard, and then when I'm off the pool table, I think about other things. So maybe that's the key to my success over the years is I'm able to concentrate on the task at hand pretty well.
0: And and talking about the, the thing coming up here in Phoenix, uh, I know some of the details, but I'm sure you know more about it than I do. So can you explain to the listeners what's going on?
1: Well, in a nutshell, uh, I've always kind of said that I don't want to be 75 or 80 years old if I'm lucky enough to get that far and wonder if I was good enough to break Moscone's record. I'm not sure I'm able to break it, and I'm not sure I'm good enough, but I know that we will never find out unless I get up there and try and do it in an environment and format that's conducive to breaking the record. So I was contacted by a buddy of mine, Tress Kane, there in Phoenix, and we uh, we had a little meeting, and he said, I'd like to have you come over to Bull Shooters and take a month, and we're going to set up a nice table and a live stream, and you give it a go and see if you can break this 526. You know, the closest I've came is 434 a few months ago in Monterey, California, So I have my doubts, but it's the perfect, it's the perfect endeavor. It's like taking over a team that's in last place. You can only do better. Like nobody expects me to break the record. I don't really expect it. So all I can do is succeed. And if I fail, you know, I I don't think I'll be uh, too down on myself because it's a gigantic hurdle I'm trying to get over. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm lucky to, to get a chance to, to give it a go. And the reason I bring up all the people that are helping me is because something like this, um, I need a pool room to host me. I have a friend renting an apartment. Uh, my wife handles a ton of details that makes it easier on me. Uh, uh, Mike Bates, the owner of Bull Shooters, has graciously offered me a table and he's going to have it recovered. I mean, it it, and my, my sponsor, easy street billiards in Monterey, California, without them, I financially would not be able to take a month and come over to Phoenix and try this. And so it's just, uh, it's a group effort. There's a lot of people helping me on this and I'm really excited about it. So here's the exact details of what I'll be doing. I'll be from 12 o'clock to six o'clock. Thursday through Sunday at Bull Shooters in Phoenix. I'll be on a gold crown, new cloth, generous pockets, and new balls that were provided to me by Predator, a company I represent also, so thank you to them. And I'm going to try to uh, play six hours a day for 30 days recording and live streaming the whole time and trying to break this record. So I think it's going to be a win-win for the pool community because they're going to be able to come in and watch me do this. And even if I fall short and I my high runs say only 3.10 or something, it's going to be a very informative uh, thing for the players that watch. And uh, if I break the record, I think it'll be an exciting thing for the locals there and for Mike Bates and the pool room and myself. So I, I think it's a win-win for pool. And uh, it's going to kind of quench my curiosity because I really want to know if I'm good enough to break it, and, you know, it just kind of drives me nuts, because I think I can do it, but I also think I'm probably a gigantic underdog not to do it, so it's just, it's just something I've got to get out of my system. I can't stand it much
0: longer. When we, when you talk about straight pool, uh, you know, I know that A lot of amateur, semi-pro players, it's a big deal to to run 100. I mean, you've ran 400 four times. What does it take to put together a run like that?
1: You mean to run 100 or to to run 400?
0: Well, really kind of both.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, Well, the thing is, I've got to defend straight pull a little bit. It's one of those games that looks easy, but it's hard. Because people want to talk about pocketing balls and, and and pocket size. And that's definitely a factor. But what's what's lost on a lot of players is that it's a very masterful position game. So when you see me run 200 balls, I always joke. I say, you know how many times I play position when I run 200? 200 times. I'm never shooting a shot and just hoping. I mean, well, there is actually times you do that. But you are playing position. So it's a very masterful position game and to run a hundred balls, I consider somebody if they can run a hundred playing straight pool once in their life to be like a grand master at pool. It's very, very difficult. Uh, Running a hundred is not twice as hard as running 50. It's, it's about a thousand times harder and running 200 is not twice as hard as running a hundred. It's a thousand times harder. And you get the idea. Um, It's like the Richter scale. It's exponentially more difficult. So, when players strive to run 100, I think that's a, uh, a great benchmark for somebody to know that they've become a very, very good player. I consider somebody to be a pro-caliber player if they've ever ran 100 in one time. Maybe maybe a weak pro-caliber player, but in the range of pro-caliber. So it's a, it's a huge feather in somebody's cap if they've ever ran 100 in my opinion. Now, as far as running like four hundred, that is that's a culmination of a lifetime of work and practice and endurance and confidence and table conditions and just think of it like this when you if you run four hundred like say the great players a like Torsten Holman, Steve Miserac, and what have you I mean, that, that is the absolute zenith of human ability to play pool good enough to run 30 racks in a row. Where 400 balls is about 30 racks. So anybody that's played pool serious, if they're honest with themselves, would say, you know, that's quite an achievement, and that—that that is just the outer limits of human ability to run 400 balls. I, I think it's um, – it's something I've been lucky enough to do four times, um, and I might never do it again. I mean, it it takes thousands and thousands of tries in your lifetime to run 200 one time, much less 400. So, takes some luck, takes a lot of perseverance too. There's many times, there's many times, Mike, when I was up there in uh, Monterey, where I would be three or four hours into the day and my high run would only be 170 or 190, and I was getting irritated and tired, and my, my heels were killing me, and my low back was killing me, and my neck was hurting, and I was getting hungry, and I, but I kept trying because, again, it was a group effort. I had a lot of people help me and put it together, and I couldn't just throw my hands up and say, you know what, I'm exhausted. Let's just go back to the apartment. No, I put in another four hours, and lo and behold, run 330. So a lot of it is perseverance, and, and just good old-fashioned hard work um, because it's quite tiring. I play very fast, as you know. You've known me a long time. I play fast. So when I tell you i played pool six or eight hours in a day, it's, it's like most players playing 10 or 12 hours because I run around the table. So I'm beyond exhausted. And at the end of each night here in Phoenix, I will need ibuprofen. I will need <laughs> ice on my low back. I mean, really, I'm in pain each night, a lot of pain. But then I feel decent by the next day, and I give it a go. And then by the end of that day, I'm in pain. But, you know, I'm going after something that's important to me. Um, Again, I'm doing this out of curiosity, because I don't know that I'm good enough to break Moscone's record. I just don't want to die wondering. Now, it's a stupid goal to some people, some players go, ah, why are you playing straight pool? Nobody plays straight pool. Well, I play straight pool, and I want to see if I can go down in history as an immortal um, player, and when people talk about who's got the highest run, I'd like them to say my name instead of Willie Moscone's because I do think it's possible if I break the record if if everything goes right and I get really lucky, and I play amazing, and I have bursts of energy, and I have a group of people helping me, and everything lines up, I might just be able to pull it off, but
0: I wouldn't hold my breath. I mean, certainly the plan is to break the record, but let's consider the, the unthinkable for a second. let Let's. What happens if you go through this 30 days, six hours a day, and you don't break the record are you is, it, is this something you're going to keep trying to do until you've made your last ball
1: no i mean i'm going to get to a point where i just i guess i give up and just admit defeat but i'm not quite there yet i i've, I've only taken two real concerted efforts on a table that's conducive to it and in an environment where you know, everything is right. I did it in Monterey twice. I'm going to take this stab at it in Phoenix. And then in from May 5th till June 5th in Monterey, I'm trying it again. So that'll be another 40 days on camera of trying. And if I can't pull it off, you know, I don't know. Now, in fairness to me, I'm trying to do something in a 40- or 60-day period that took Moscone like 30 years to pull off. So, I mean, really... I probably shouldn't throw in the towel until my career's over. But for me, I have to do other things. I have to teach pool. I play tournaments. I play money games. I travel. I'm always working on my vehicles. I mean, I'm you know I'm married. I've got a lot going on. So I can't play straight pool 300 days a year like everybody thinks I do. I play straight pool about five, eight days a year. So this will be a big uh, upsurge in, in days played. For me, in the last 10 years, I haven't played straight pole hardly ever. So, this is going to give me a very good idea if it's possible. And I had a taste of it in Monterey when I ran 434. I realized, like, you know, I ran 400 twice in a four day period, and it got me thinking maybe 526 is within at least the realm of possibility, but it is still going to be. It's just going to be super, super tough. Um, There's just no way else to look at it. And and, and the thing is, you know, I'm pretty damn good at straight pool, and I've been playing it 20 years, and the best I've ever done is 434. And people say to me, well, John, 526 is right around the corner, and I always tell them, well, listen, loan me $526,000, and I'll pay you $434,000 back, and you'll realize it ain't the same number. You know, so it's, it's, it sounds close, but it's not, I'm still like another seven, eight racks away. So, um, again, curiosity killed the cat. I'm going to go over there and see if I could pull it off. But if I had to bet against myself, I
0: would, I I don't think I can do it, but I'm going to try like hell for somebody on the outside for your average pool fan they can look at running 526 and they can say, man, that that's almost impossible. You know how difficult it is. You know how much effort and, you know, a little bit of luck, but, you know, just what is needed for something like that. If you don't break this record. Well, it, see, here's the thing. Here's the thing about records, and I look at things
1: kind of odd, Okay. The record is 526. It was on a 4 by 8 which is easier, but let's not even get into that. The record is 526. Now, obviously, this is kind of a goofy example, but what if I got up there and I ran 525 balls, one ball short of the record, five times in a row? Would would that be a failure? Heck no. I would go down as, like, the greatest pool player that ever lived, right? I mean – even though that's impossible, but you get what I'm saying. So try, I try not to get obsessed with the record, and I just try to play great pool because if I die with four or five or six 400-ball runs under my belt, I mean, you know, and and all the 40 the 49-ball tournaments I've won and all the stuff I've done, I'd say that's been a good career for a guy that started late and has played part-time. So I'm really not going to say it. it it's a failure, but at the same time, I mean you know five twenty six is the number and and that's what I have to go for and unless I break it, I know the record will probably never be broke because I'm one of the few crazy enough to try to break it and to dedicate a month and turn on the cameras and there's only five or six players in the world that play straight ball really good enough. I know this is gonna butt hurt some guys but There's only about five or six from what I've seen that actually have the skill to break that record, and I'd like to think I'm one of them. But they're not putting in the same effort, and then once I'm past my prime, I think Moscone's record will be safe for a 1,000 years. So if I don't break this record, I don't think it'll ever get broke because I'm the kind of guy that's just OCD enough to try to break it. It just just kind of bugs me because I think I can do it, but I'm not sure, but I know what kind of an effort it's going to take. You know, um, I mean, it's a real effort, like going to Phoenix. I don't live in Phoenix. I'm going to move to another town for 30 days and have a pool room, put it together, and my friends and my sponsors and my wife, and my dad's going to babysit my dog for a month. I mean, the whole thing is like a gigantic group effort, and I feel like I'm letting everybody down if I don't break this record, myself included.
0: Well, John, I'm looking forward to seeing you out here in Phoenix, and I'm looking forward to hopefully catching 526 plus.
1: Yeah, me too. Well, thanks. And and I'd like to thank. Well, I got you on the phone um, before I forget, because I've been talking about myself the whole time. I'd like to thank you. A guy like you, you keep pull cool alive. You do a lot with AZ Billiards, and uh, you know, without guys like you, the media. Um, we'd all be in the dark, and, and I appreciate what you do for the sport and contacted me. So, thank you. And I'd like to thank Bull Shooters and, and Mike Bates. Uh, without Bull Shooters, this would be impossible. Tress Kane is an integral part of this. Uh, my friend Doug and Cecilia Desmond, uh, and I really appreciate He will be the guy racking for me the whole time.
0: Oh, wow. I would
1: like to. Yeah, and he's done this twice already. I mean, this guy is in his six uh, 70s, and he's racking for me the entire time. So it's quite a Herculean physical effort on his part, too. I'd like to thank Predator Q. They donated a brand-new set of, of balls for this, and I really appreciate that. And I'll be using the Revo Q, which I love, of course. Uh, I'd like to thank my wife. She handles a lot of things that would just bog me down. Um and make it tough for me. Uh, and then, of course, my main sponsor, Easy Street Billiards in Monterey, California. Without Easy Street Billiards, I, you know, playing playing pool around the world and around the country and doing things like this would be impossible. So, um, and lastly, you know, to the fans and people that enjoy the game, whether they like me or hate me, the fact that they support pool and, uh, you know, and support straight pool and all the games. I really appreciate it. Um, without them, the industry would be dead. So thank you to them. And um, I'll leave you with that. I, You know, <laughs> I, tell people, I tell people, I know that's a lot to leave you with. I tell people uh, kind of jokingly, I used to be a thoroughbred that won major championships, and now I'm just a donkey that kids pet at birthday parties. But I'm going to try to uh, finish out my career here with something big. This means a lot to me. And, uh, you know, I'm going to try to uh, kind of regain that thoroughbred status. And I think 526 would be a, a good way to do it.
0: Sounds good to me. Uh, now, what again, what date does this start? Uh, March 20th through October, April 18th. Do you know how fans who want to watch it, are the details worked out yet as to where they'll be able to find the stream? No, I don't have that worked out yet, but I would think the bullshooters stream, I'm sure they,
1: you know, they have, I'll put a link or something on Facebook and let everybody know. Um, and anybody that wants to come in and watch in person, I encourage that. Feel free to pull up a chair and watch and say hi and encourage me and heckle me or whatever you want to do. I'll be there like clockwork, 12 to 6, uh, Sunday through Thursday. So um, that'll be fun. That'll kind of create some energy and and uh, for the room, and and uh, I'll probably play better in that environment with people kind of in there pulling for me, so It'll be fun.
0: All right, sounds good. Well, John, we are all gonna be watching. Well, thanks, Mike. All right, That was John Schmidt talking about trying to break the record. I encourage everyone to keep an eye on John's Facebook page. We will try to make an announcement as soon as we know where fans can go to watch the stream. 30 days, and then, as John said, if he's not able to do it, he'll be back in Monterey trying to do it again later in the year. But starting in mid-March, 30 days, trying to break the record. That's our show for this week, and I say this week, but really it's probably every other week, every three weeks. But again, to that one gentleman who told me how badly I sucked, I I apologize. I, I will be back again. All right, everybody, thanks for listening. That's our show for this week.